Welcome to Kiana's Conversations. As part of our celebration of International Women's Day, I'm delighted to welcome Debbie McCulloch to our podcast. Debbie is the Deputy Chief Executive of Spartans FC and in her spare time coaches Spartan FC women's team. In the course of a wide-ranging interview, we explore a range of issues relating to women in sport and her own leadership journey. I'm sure you're going to enjoy it. Debbie, welcome to Kiana's Conversations. We're absolutely delighted that you're able to join us this evening uh, to allow us to celebrate International Women's Day, but particularly today with a focus on, on women in sport as we speak to you. Um, before we kick off, it might be really interesting just for our audience to hear a little bit about your role uh, with with Spartans and a little bit about Spartans themselves, because I know from personal experience they're a wonderful organisation. Yeah, thanks for having me, Don. Really delighted to be here. Um, yeah, so my role at Spartans, um, I, I undertake two roles currently. Um, first, firstly, I'm the Deputy Chief Executive of the Foundation at Spartans. Um, and I've been part of that project since we opened our doors back in December 2008, um, where I started off as a football development manager and, and really had a blank piece of paper to try and build a commercial empire that would allow us to reinvest um, our profits back into local community. Um, we're based in North Edinburgh, one of the most deprived areas in Europe, where poverty is a real issue. So any commercial income that we bring in or reinvested back into our youth work provisions or our educational programs. And over the last 14 years, you know, that's really evolved into a business that now has a £1.5 million turnover. Um, but additionally, you know, has a real social return and investment in terms of um, the provisions that we're delivering, um, specifically at primary school age children and helping people with things like food poverty, fuel poverty, um, crime, challenges that they have in their lives and trying to present them with a journey via Spartans that can present them with opportunities that they might not, not necessarily have if we weren't here. And then additionally to that, um, I'm a volunteer within the football club. Um, I'm head coach of the Scottish Women's Premier League um, women's team. They play at the highest level in Scotland. Um, which again has evolved significantly since 2008 um, in terms of going from amateur to semi-professional. Um, so, yeah, that's my way of giving back and, and hopefully leading people in a competitive environment that can allow them to be the best that they can potentially be on and off the pitch. And the two are very much integrated in terms of the roles. Um, because it's really important that everyone understands the bigger picture at Spartans, that yes, we're there to compete at a football level, but we're also there to change lives and ultimately get out of bed every single morning to ensure that we can help people who are at greatest need. Debbie, yeah, that, that's quite humbling listening to that. Um, this this idea of, of giving back, I'm not sure there's many um, sport coaches that I would speak to that would say that this is an important element for them. Could could we explore this notion of giving back by maybe starting to touch upon your own your own hinterland, which is even suggested through that phrase "giving back"? So, could you tell us a little bit about where you're from and your own upbringing before we maybe start to to dig into where you are with Spartans? 
Yeah, I was I was brought up in a small village called Mount Nocampsy in, in Glasgow. Um I have a twin sister, so maybe that's where the competitive element comes <laughs> from. Um and um yeah, like, you know, probably throughout school struggled with mainstream education in terms of the educational element and being engaged with that. You know, I was never really driven by attaining high levels of grades or studying. And um, it was always a social aspect for myself. Um, I really enjoyed, you know, the sport element and the physical educational side of things. And I think that's what really drove me into into a career in sport and that and giving back ultimately, you know, I think that foundation and that value comes very much from my mum and dad. You know, we were always brought up to make sure that we put other people first, that we made sure that we gave back um, in whatever way we could. And I think from that point onwards, you know, that's always stuck with me in a way that, yes, you know, I'm ambitious and I, and I want to do well myself. However, you know, if I, if I don't take people on that journey with me, then it, that's not going to be a success. However, you know, I, I want people to be given the opportunities that I was as a young person to make sure that, you know, you, you can achieve whatever you want to achieve, whether that's you're good at school or you're bad at school or you maybe don't like sport. And um, there is opportunities out there if, if you have the right people behind you and they're backing you and they're teaching you good values and morals as a person that you can hopefully use later on in life and, and distribute that experience and wealth of knowledge um, to ensure that you have a positive impact on, on people's lives. So, you know, very early age, you know, we were always we were always taught to put other people first. And I think that stuck with me. And you know, I think through school as well and the social side, um, you know, I never wanted to be the centre of attention, but I always just wanted to feel part of something. And that really so, motivated me. Yeah, t t tell me a little bit more about mum and dad. They sound very interesting people. Wow, well, they're just normal people, mum and dad, you know, but they're my heroes ultimately. Um, and I know that might sound like a bit of a, a cliche, but, you know, I think... Um, Having a twin sister, we were always um, seen as being the same or or people expected and had the perception that we should be very similar. However, we were very different. Um, and I think my mum and dad always really appreciated that and just saw us as who we were and, and appreciated that we had different maps of the world. Um, and I think that was really important for us growing up. Um, my mum is the most caring person in the world that I know. Um, mm. She just has this ability to light up her room in a very calm and, and loving way. And, 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 you know, my dad, listen, he was hard on us. He taught us how to be resilient. He never really wrapped us up in cotton wool. Um, but he was always there for us whenever we needed him um, and, and, and still is to stay. So I think fundamentally their values that they instilled in us in a young age has really made us into the people that we are today. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My goodness, and and th this that you sound you sound like you're a really interesting combination between your mum and your dad. If you were going to, what 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 is it a fifty fifty split or which one are you more like? I think you know, growing up, it was evident. You know, Vicky, my sister, was very much um, you know very close to my mum. 
Um, and I was probably a daddy's girl, you know, I was the one that was getting broken bones on the football field and, you know, trying to build things and breaking things and a wee bit clumsy and that. Um, I think, you know, um, my mum has that caring element, as does my sister and myself. However, I have a very practical element and that very much comes from my dad. You know, he was in the construction industry and, and built things and was always there to try and kind of find positive solutions to challenges that might seem to be too difficult. Um, and, I, and, I, and I think, you know, that stayed with me for a very long time too. Yeah, so Debbie, you used a really interesting phrase there about you and your sister having different maps of the world. What did you mean by that? I think um, the way I look at it now and I looked at it previously is, is that we have to treat everybody as individuals and everyone has different things that annoy them, that motivate them, that inspire them, that challenge them. Um, so the different maps of the world for me, you know, as a leader is, is really kind of understanding that so that you can get the best out of someone. You know, I think my sister would get stressed out at the littlest of things, but it didn't mean that she was a bad person. It just meant that she had to develop probably more complex coping strategies where for me, I was just like, you know, let's fix this, let's go, let's, how are we going to find the solution to this? And if it doesn't work, how are we going to find the next solution? Um, so I think it, it, it's just really understanding what makes people tick. Um, but also how they process things is, is hugely important because no one is, is the same. There'll be similarities across the board um, and there'll be standardised behaviours and attitudes. However, you know, I think we have to, as leaders nowadays, really um, get underneath the bonnet of that to be able to understand people, to be able to get the best out of them. Jeez. Debbie, thank you. Thank you. So tell me about sport and PE. You, met, you mentioned the uh, uh, physical education. You may not know this, but I am a broken down PE teacher. Um, one of the best jobs I ever had. So, so tell me about because you know it's traditionally and in Scotland it is an issue to get to get uh, girls and women involved in sport. Um, what 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 made it tick for you? Um, I really liked the competitive element of it. Um, I like the social element, meeting different people, building different relationships. Um, you know, I, I wasn't particularly good at sport. Um, I wasn't very good at football. You know, I played rugby, I played volleyball as well. They were my three kind of main sports. But I just really, because probably, you know, the likes of maths and English, I, stud I, I struggled with the process behind that and the teaching element. Um, I just felt, so much more comfortable in a physical education environment and you know I had a teacher at secondary school called Mrs Graham who really kind of took me under her wing and and, and presented opportunities to me that you know I, I, I that necessarily kind of like you know set set me up for life if I'm being honest and um, I really enjoyed learning from her really enjoyed listening to her and understood like the importance of building relationships and how sport could play such a positive role in doing so. Um, and literally that's what got me out of bed every single morning to go to school. Um, I wasn't really driven by, you know, grades or studying or anything like that. It didn't interest me much to my mum's frustration. However, I think there was so much pressure put on us back in that in those days that, you know, that, 
to be seen as being smart and intelligent, you know, you had to have the A's and B's and it was quite difficult for me growing up because my sister was a was a straight A B student, you know, and you used to wait for that envelope to drop through the letterbox, you know, your grades and I'd be sitting in the bathroom crying my eyes out and my mum would be like, No, it's okay, just come out, it doesn't matter. Um yeah. just so being able what, what to t- have yeah, that that is that is tough. But t- tell me, what what was it that Mrs. Graham actually did that really, you know, lit you up? She just got me. She she just she understood. Yeah, she just she she wasn't bothered by me getting good grades or anything like that. You know, I think she could see the power that sport could have on an individual and a collective, and how inspiring that could be to someone's life. And I think for me, the biggest thing was, is that, you know, she taught whoever wanted to be taught and, but also the people that didn't want to be taught could be really engaged with her. And for me, I think going into coaching, you know, everyone always says, oh, why did you not become a PE teacher? And I was like, well, I probably couldn't withstand the kids that didn't want to be taught, if I'm being honest. Um, (laughs) However, it probably goes back to my earlier point where like, if I was going to give something back in life, um, how could I do that? Well, I could do that via sport. I could do that by understanding people and trying to get the best out of them. And and she just inspired me every single day to be the best version of me. And there was no preconceptions. There was no pressure. It was just like, you know, you just be you, be good at what you're good at and 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 go for it. And, you know, she probably put a sense of bravery into me um that um that I probably needed in that point in my life where I felt like I was failing at school that I wasn't good enough you know I wasn't going to get to university with the grades that I had when I when I when I left sixth year but that was okay it was all right um you know you can be whatever you want to be um and I'm forever grateful for her input have you ever spoken to 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 to, uh, Miss Graham Mrs Graham since you you left school no, I haven't, but I'd love to. Um, yeah. I, would, I would really love to reconnect with her and, and to be able to share the impact that she's had on my life. Um, I, I'm friends with our, our son on Facebook and, and often see photographs of her and it, and it just brings back so many happy memories, so, in, so many inspiring memories. And, you know, even when I left school, you know, she got me in to help coach the girls' football, school football team. Um and kept that relationship and connection going, which, you know, at that moment in time in my life, I probably needed that support and that mentor um, around me for me to believe that I could achieve whatever I wanted to achieve. What a fantastic woman. That, that's wonderful. Well, who, who knows who might hear this? And what, what school was that at? What school were you at? I was at uh, Lindsay Academy in Lindsay Glasgow. Lindsay Academy. So Mrs. Graham, Lindsay Academy. If someone wants to point to Debbie McCulloch, just owes Mrs. Graham a, a debt. Who knows that she might end up one day hearing this. So just, just lovely. Uh, so we, we've we've gone to school. You've uh, been lit up by Mrs. Graham by sport. Uh, as you're aware, unfortunately, many girls are are put off sport by their experience in physical education. Unfortunately, um, but um, so so tell us about the journey after school. Then, what was your journey after school? Yeah, I went to the Glasgow College of Nautical Studies um, to do an HND and um, sports coaching. 
my sports development. So that was a two-year course. And yeah, you know, great experience. Um, fantastic course with great people and some people that I'm still friends with today. Um, a real kind of social event, shall we say, um, versus <laughs> educational event, probably. Um, and that led me Aberty where um piloting a, a BSc honours degree in sports development and sports coaching and I managed to successfully apply to third year of that um, so moved to Dundee um, again great city to live um, fantastic atmosphere um, I never really probably had the expectation that I was ever going to pass and um, because going from college to university was a huge step for me especially in terms of being able to um, do that critical writing, critical thinking. However, I managed to get through that and graduated back in, in 2002. Um, and like many others, you know, trying to find a career in sport without the experience and without um, probably the knowledge um, was challenging. I, I remember um, signing on for about six months um, just to kind of, um, get myself by and uh, thankfully I'd done a wee bit of coaching with Dundee United um, and they'd seen something in me and they said listen we can offer you a dual role um, the first part of the role is that you're going to be on the ground staff and you're going to be cutting the training pitches for the first team yeah. and brushing the pitchy, uh, brushing AstroTurf at Gussie Park and clearing the stand after a Saturday and then we can give you some hours coaching after school and at, at the weekend and you know, I did that for about, I think, 14 months. Um, great during the summer, really bad during the winter. <laughs> um, but I think it, it gave me it gave me an insight into working in a football development department. It gave me an insight into what happens operationally behind a football club. And I'm forever grateful for that opportunity because it allowed me to develop relationships with people that presented me with an opportunity to move to Ross County Football Club um, in Dingwall. I applied for a job. I wasn't successful. Thankfully, Roy McGregor, the chairman there, saw something in me and gave me an opportunity. Okay. And let's, I spent... let's, let's, let's pause there, Debbie, because there's a there's a few things I just want to pick up because, my goodness, your your career's progressing. You know, that 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 pushing yourself through from, from college to university that drive that you had, and I, I love that, that you weren't confined by any notion of, of your own your own academic ability. You pushed through that. You've got this incredible enthusiasm and positivity that, that just, just leaps off the screen. What is it about coaching that lights you up? I think it's just, one, I like learning. Um, so I like learning about new methods and processes and and how you can get the best out of people, I think. Um, over the years, you know, I've developed my leadership style and I've not been afraid to be really open to being reflective and self-reflective around who I want to be and, and, and how I want to portray that within a team or an individual environment. Um, and I like seeing people doing well. Um, yeah. I like seeing people achieve positive outcomes I like seeing people fail as well I think that that's okay as long as you fail moving forwards yeah, yeah. Um, 
So for me, it goes back to, you know, what I said earlier. Ultimately, I think I'm probably here just to help people and to try and help guide people. And that's not me trying to be big headed. Like I've made mistakes in the past that, you know, ultimately have defined who I am. And I think like, you know, as long as you're willing to self-reflect and change and learn from that, then, you know, hopefully you can develop as a coach, but just really motivated to get the best out of people. So how, how have people responded to you um, in terms of being a woman in football? You know, Dundee United, and we're going to come on to the Ross County story, but let, let's just jump jump to that just now. How, how do people respond? Do they do they gasp in amazement, or what? Is, what is the response? Well, I mean, I, th- I think you know, probably around about twenty years ago, it was a very different environment for females to be involved in football. I think I've been very fortunate that things have landed in my lap, either by chance or by being a pain in the backside. <laughs> Um, I, think it, I guess the latter, but not necessarily being <laughs> in the backside. But anyway, carry on. Yeah, that's allowed me to surround myself with good people and yeah. people that I've been able to learn from and that have been willing to mentor me. Um, I, I, you know, I'm not going to lie, there's been negative experiences as well where I've had the door, you know, shut in my face. Um, but I'm the type of person that will put my foot in between the door and it closing um, in a very polite way. But um, but yeah, like I, I've always felt that I think, I think probably in hindsight, when I reflect, I probably became a product of that environment where I was just surrounded by males, and I fitted into it, and I and I probably yeah became a guy, a such or a lad or whatever you want to call it. Yeah. Um, that you know. I was okay with it at the time because I probably wasn't willing to challenge it yeah, as yeah. much as I would now. Um, and when I look back at things that have happened where, and I think, ooh, I'm not too sure if that's, that was right. Yeah. So um, tell me about that. This is, this is fascinating. I'm really interested by that, that, where you were and maybe where you are now and the difference and just, just having to conform and fit in and, Maybe the difference now, as a woman, as you bring bring to 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 football and to coaching, I'm really interested in that. Yeah, I think I think like you were just trying to be part of the norm and be part of the gang. To be honest with you, you know, you didn't want to disrupt it. Although there's been several times in my career that I've had that imposter syndrome, um, and I think now I'm a lot more comfortable with that because I know who I am and and what I stand for and. And that I expect a quality, you know. But I think in football, it's a very um, relaxed environment. There's a lot of banter. And looking back on it, probably quite a lot of that banter wasn't suitable. But to kind of stay part of the gang, because it was so male-dominated, you actually just kind of went along with it. And I think there's been several situations where, yeah, if I was the person... That I am now, I would have probably have suggested that it wasn't appropriate and that it wasn't, um, you know, suitable. Um, and, I, and I think that's just came through females being given high-profile jobs in football and being more respected, but also ultimately recognizing that men and women's football is very different. Mm. It's a it's a very it's a different sport, in my opinion. 
And I think it's important that that's recognised. It doesn't mean that people need to be um, different as such. However, you have to have appreciation around it if you want to get the best out of people. Um, so could you just could, sorry, Debbie? I'm really interested. Uh, can can you describe that difference? I think that'd be really helpful to hear that. Yeah, I think I think there's a, a different level of physicality. I think there's different tactics. I think you're different. You're dealing with a different level of emotion as well. Because for me, football is all about emotion. It's a very competitive environment, and how males and female footballers deal with that is is apples and oranges and we have to appreciate that if we put everyone into the same box then it's not going to work um so you have to be very adaptable around your style and you know that comes from me coaching you know three-year-olds up in the highlands and islands for five years as part of the nursery program at Ross County to like actually progressing into coaching adults and I think yeah, you, you have to treat it as individual sports um, because it is so different in terms of specifically and technically as well. You know, I think the female game is a lot more technical than the men's game. Um, so you're asking people to do very different things. But if you have the same style, then you're going to get very different outcomes, in my opinion. Yeah. Could, could you, are there any stories? could tell us that would bring this idea of the, the difference in terms of the emotional side um, what, what 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 do you mean by that or can you exemplify that yeah I I, I don't think um, there's as much emotion in the men's game and that doesn't mean to say that it's less competitive I think guys don't take things as personally as females do and are very much more willing to leave things on the pitch um, yeah. whereas Females, I think, um, interpret things a lot more emotionally. So, you know, you can, you know, there could be an altercation on the pitch and the guys will walk off and they're high-fiving each other and they're fine in the dressing room where, you know, a female player will hold on to that, will really kind of try and process it much deeper and try to understand it. Um, so I think, like, that the balance in terms of that is very, very different in the male and female game. Um, and I just know that through my experiences of speaking to people that coach in the male game versus the female game, and they might see something that they're like, "Oh, that wouldn't that wouldn't really happen in the guys' game." Whereas, like, you know, in the girls' game, I think um, that emotional intelligence piece is really important. Um, yeah. That you understand what upsets people, that you understand what motivates them, what makes them happy, what makes them sad, what makes them angry. And, and and be willing to really investigate that um, because I think, you know, I look at, like, how much our game has grown over the past, like, three, four years. You know, our players are under more pressure than they ever have been. And, you know, some people deal with that well and other people don't, but there's no right or wrong. Um, it's just really understanding, like, how you can get the best out of them and how you can best support them through that. Um, where in the guys' game, I think it's quite traditional. And, the you know, their methods are, you know, they train a Tuesday, Thursday, they play on a Saturday. You know, in the women's game, we train Monday, Wednesday, Friday, play on a Sunday, you know. And, and so I think, yeah, we, we have a much more open mindset. Right. Um, whereas, like, I think in the guys' game, it's a much more fixed 
mindset. And I think when you have an open mindset, then it does bring a lot more pressure. It does bring a lot more emotion um, to everything that you're doing. Um, because the game is evolving very quickly. Um, and that, to keep sorry, up. Sorry, Debbie. Does that open mindset? Um, does that open mindset enable you perhaps to explore areas of the game, developments in the game that perhaps a more closed mindset doesn't allow? Is that is the is the is the if you like the women's game accelerating quicker because of that? Yeah, absolutely. You know, I look back at like you know, ten years ago we were training three times a week. Now we're training five times a week. Um, you know, things like video analysis didn't happen, things like strength and conditioning didn't happen. So I think it's a really positive thing, but it can also make you vulnerable as well. Um, Because, you know, that commitment increases the amount of emotional energy you're putting out, physical energy, everything, you know, mental energy, it all increases. So you're increasing the demands as it evolves. And you have to be very wary around that because some people can cope with that and other people can't. Um, And so, you know, in my role, I have to be able to understand that to ensure that we don't push people too hard, but we do challenge them enough to be able to, like, really kind of push on. Okay, okay, Debbie. uh, So... You did five years at Ross County, uh, coaching three-year-olds up to what else were you doing at Ross County? Yeah, I mean, we, we covered an, an area the size of Belgium, so it was fantastic um, to see the whole of the Highlands and Islands. A lot, a lot of driving yeah. Um, yeah. and maybe not as much doing as I liked. Um, but yeah, I really uh-huh. kind of worked in the, in the community department there. So yeah, driving the commercial income with regards to community programmes, whether it was holiday programmes, after school clubs, etc., um match day clubs um so it was a fantastic development opportunity for myself you know I worked with some fantastic people and it was it was great to be able to travel and 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 work in really small communities as well where it really mattered that they had access to a club like Ross County and the expertise that they had um so yeah it was a real privilege to work there for for five years and then, and then from Ross County, where was it from Ross County? Was that to Spartans? It was, yes. Um, uh, you know, I, ha- I had a desire to move back down to the Central Belt and to be closer to my family. But I also recognised that um, my ambitions in coaching, coaching maybe weren't going to be fulfilled up north. You know, football was very much still a Central Belt game. Um and yeah, by ch- I'd been doing quite a lot with the Scottish Football Association and, and their women's football development department. And Sheila Begbie, who's also a mentor of myself, um, you know, spoke about this opportunity um, at Spartans. Had a wee look. Um, I don't think it'll be the first time. And I don't think anyone will worry if I say this. <laughs> you know, I looked at the website and I was like, God, I've never heard of this club. I'm, like, I'm not too sure. And, um, and, you know, from being from Glasgow, you never went to Edinburgh as a young kid. You always stayed in the yeah. West. Yeah. Um, however, after meeting Doogie Samuel, our CEO at the Academy, I, I took a leap of faith. But it was a leap of, leap of faith that I had real belief in um, because, you know, their model around being a social enterprise and running a facility and coaching programmes or whatever else um really inspired me because I felt the model was a wee bit back to front to how 
other football clubs worked because, you know, ultimately the football club was paying the foundation to rent the facilities where it's normally the other way around. Um, and I had a blank piece of paper in front of me. And even though that was quite daunting, I really wanted to create something special. Um, and I knew that whatever I did commercially would be reinvested back into a community that was in desperate need of support. Um, so, so Debbie, if I may, just just for our uh, listeners, could you just tell us a little bit a, mo- a bit more about Spartans? Maybe it's it's history and and this this social impact that it tries to make, in addition to being an outstanding sport sporting sporting club. Yeah, so the football club was founded in 1951. Um, they obviously had a facility over at City Park, which is directly opposite our current home um, at Ainsley Park. Um, and it was really the, the dream of, of two people, um, Craig Graham and, and Douglas Samuel, um, where they wanted to, you know, build a facility to be a home for the football club, but essentially give back to the community. Um, so they were fortunate enough to be able to have secured enough funding to build this fantastic facility that would you know, provide training, a training home for the men and women's team and also the, the girls and boys teams. And from that, it's just significantly grown over the last 14 years in terms of, you know, our commercial income, but also um, our social impact. Um, I think there was around about five of us, you know, as part of the staff. And I think now we've got around about 35 people on the payroll. Um, so it's substantially growing. Um, and I think, you know, at the heart of it, we exist to help people. We want to use the power of sport um, to positively influence the local community and provide them with opportunities that they might not necessarily get if, if we weren't here. So it's really developed into a social home, I would call it, or a social village, um, where, you know, there's very much the values around being non-judgmental and being caring and and you know providing good customer service whether you know you're hosting a scotland women's under 17s game or you're just hosting you know a sunday league game and we want to provide that environment where people feel that they can come to us for help and where we can try and assist them as best we possibly can and our programs have developed hugely whether it's in youth work education um and it and it's fantastic to see its growth because I really feel as if we've really proven that a football club can have that social positive change and really base themselves around a local community where 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 we can change people's lives. And and describe your own journey then within Spartans, what you started as a development manager. Maybe you can just talk us through to where you are now in terms of your role and responsibilities. Well, I, th- I think I've just always been really open and adaptable in terms of our growth. Um, I think when I first joined, you know, my motivation was to make as much money as we possibly could so we could reinvest those projects back into our social impact programmes. Um, that then progressed and developed, you know, from having 16 kids attend, you know, our programmes on a weekly basis to, you know, I think, now we probably have around about 500, 600. So, um, and yeah, I had a real passion to try and develop a girl's pathway there, you know, too. Like we had a couple of girls 
academy teams and now we have a full pathway with 150 female players every single week training and playing for the club and for me I then went into the hospitality side of the business and thought I don't know anything about this let's give this a shot and see how we get on how can we make more money from you know behind the cafe how can we get more training courses and training providers using our facility for training courses um, and then from there, I, I went into the role of business and operations manager, um, which oversaw the kind of football development, hospitality, um, facility, maintenance and income streams. Um, and then over the last 18 months, I've moved into the role of um, deputy chief executive, which has brought a more strategic approach um, to my job, which I'm thoroughly enjoying. Um, and, you know, more specifically, really getting involved with the community engagement side of things um, in that area um, of, of the academy, um, which has allowed me to work with a lot more like-minded organisations and third sector organisations who are ultimately trying to achieve exactly what we're trying to achieve. Well, you, you truly are a force of nature. Um, but but take me back to this idea of 150 girls training a week. How are you able to do it at Spartans when many, many other organisations and schools are really struggling to get girls to participate in sport? What What is the magic sauce? I think, it's, I think for me, it always comes down to one thing, and that's word of mouth. And word of mouth comes about by the quality of your product. So first and foremost, having a facility that we can call a home is really um, is really positive in terms of attracting players and having such a fantastic facility obviously helps as well. But for me, ultimately, it's the people. The people are what drive it. The people are what make, make it what it is. Um, so we're very, um, not specific, we're very open-minded around who we recruit or who we bring into our organisation um, and that they're a cultural fit and that they live and breathe by our values and, and morals. Um, and I think having people like myself, Doogie and Craig, who are ultimately seen as kind of gatekeepers and have roles across the three separate entities at Spartans, the youth section, adult section and the academy really holds that together and really drives that forward in terms of sorry there you, go. you go I beg, beg your pardon no I was just interested um if I may um this it's the people and the values and morals what what if you were going to identify what are the three non-negotiables that are just an absolute no-no at Spartans I think I think we have to have like an open door policy, so we have to be really non-judgmental. You know, I look at my my time at the academy over the last fourteen years, and you know, we have we've had people who have came straight out of Salton and come straight to the academy. You know, because that's where they feel comfortable and that's where they know that they can get the support that they need. Um, so having being open minded and non-judgmental are are really really crucial. I think we also need to come from a position where we lead with compassion, um, which, yes, at times can make you vulnerable. However, I think based on my experiences leading by compassion 
allows us to get the best out of people but present them with opportunities that are best for them um, and it leads into that non-judgmental kind of open-mindedness um, where you know we provide a safe environment for everybody where they can they can win, lose or draw and, and they can fail. It's okay, you know. We're here to develop people and to give people opportunities. So I think that's, I think that leading with compassion is, is so vitally important. I'm, if I may, you, you, are, you are no soft touch, okay, but you're driven by this compassion. Um, what is it that you obviously influence people significantly and you're influencing, you know, as you've, as you've mentioned, uh, some young people with significant challenges. How do you manage and balance this compassion and warmth with influencing and shaping and changing people's behaviour through establishing boundaries and talking about accepted behaviour? How do you manage that? Because many, many people struggle with, with, with that balance. How do you do it? Um, I think, first of all, I, I don't take anything personally or I try not to. Um, yeah. I, I think as well, like, there always has to be clear expectations and boundaries, as you said, Don. Like, I think, like, you know, if everyone understands them clearly, then you create a culture where it's okay to make mistakes. However, you know, if you make this mistake, then potentially there's going to be a wee bit of a problem. You know, we, you know, often talk about kind of like, you know, there being three rules within our community engagement and um, work in collaboration with other organisations is, is that, you know, you don't rob the bank, you don't hurt anyone and you don't break the law. <laughs> yeah. And like, you know, uh, for me, those boundaries are quite clear. Um, however, I think also as well that, you know, you just have to understand that people are going to make mistakes yeah. um, and be willing to listen, to understand, not to respond. It's really important. Um, I think my listening skills probably upon reflection, you know, five, six years ago were, weren't as good as they are now. Um, and for me, there's always just kind of one simple question and that it's like, you know, what do you need? You know, what do you need from me and, and what, what, what what do you need from us ultimately? And if, if we can help support that, then we'll do our very best. If we can't, then we'll be fully open and honest and transparent around, you know, the boundaries that we have in place. Um, because as I said before, that leading by compassion can make you vulnerable. And sometimes people think, oh, push over, be all right. Um, yeah. However, I think like just having those expectations and making sure that you're repeating those expectations and everyone's clear and concise around them allows you to be vulnerable and to lead with compassion within a remit of, you know, don't break those three rules. Jeez. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. That just, it's quite invigorating listening to you. And and what, what to the future? What's the future for... What's the future for Spartans? And then what is the future for Debbie McCulloch? Um, the future from Spartans, I mean, we're always growing and trying to be innovative. It will always be driven around what the local community needs are. So, you know, um, we'll always look to dream big and dream fierce. Um, but that will always be driven by what's what's needed. Um, you know, right now we're dealing with a cost of living crisis where, you know, people are, 
people, poverty has always been an issue in North Edinburgh. Um, I think Edinburgh hides its poverty very well, and I can probably say that because I'm from Glasgow and it's ultimately shoved in your face everywhere you go in Glasgow. Um, so how I think the community engagement piece and the collaboration on the back of COVID is vitally important because we're working with a lot more organisations that are like-minded and trying to influence change around how we learn and um, but also how we influence people's lives and try and remove the red tape and bureaucracy that people can sometimes face that means that they can't um, get access to the help that they need. Um, we have big dreams around, you know, creating that expanding our social village. So we know that GP practices are completely overwhelmed in North Edinburgh. So could we have a GP practice at the academy that people could access? We also know that oral hygiene is a huge issue. So could we have a, a dentist? Um, you know, we've just recently been the first sport sports facility in Scotland to open up an outdoor nursery in partnership with Willow Den, um, which has been a fantastic project over the past 12 months where we can give preschool education outdoors where we know that that learning environment can inspire and motivate um, greater learning. Um, so we're always trying to really push the boundaries. I think in terms of myself, it, it's really down to me to take responsibility around how I can influence that, how I can lead and push that on um, and stay really true to our core values. Um, and ultimately, you know, within the kind of football side of it, you know, how do we stay in the, in the top league? How do we progress? How do we keep up with the likes of, you know, Rangers and Celtic who have much larger budgets than ourselves and and just be creative around how we can provide positive experiences for football players on and off the pitch to achieve whatever they want to achieve. Yes, because as, as we, uh, we, we've we actually missed out that you actually volunteer, not paid, to be your head coach of the Spartans Women's Premier League team. Is that correct? Yes? Yeah, and, and, and that's my choice. It's not the club's choice. The club have offered me remuneration for that role um, on several occasions. However, I've always been of the opinion that I have a duty to give back and, and whether that's, you know, that amounts £5,000, that should be reinvested back into the team and not into myself um, because the money has never been a motivation for me. Um, and, 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 and that's just the way that I see it. Well, Debbie, it's hard to believe we've been speaking for nearly an hour here because the time's just flown by. Um, this idea of giving back, though, has been a phenomenal theme. Um, the impact uh, that your mum and dad have had, I would say, just you you've, you combine the best of your mum and dad, and, and that's probably the best thing I could say. Um, and also Mrs Graham should be very proud of the impact that she's had upon you uh, as as one of the most exceptional sporting leaders I've ever come across and just uh, more power to your elbow and I think what you're doing is absolutely fantastic but but as ever let me give the the, the last last word to you if you were going to offer some advice to any any woman involved in leadership wanting to get involved in leadership and hesitating over the opportunity, what would your advice be to them? I think I said it before, dream big, dream fierce. You know, you can be anything um, that you want to be. Um, you know, 
put yourself around good people and um, have support networks in place where you can bounce ideas and you can go to sport and don't, and don't, and don't be scared to be vulnerable. Don't be scared to have that imposter syndrome. Um, just go for it. I think it takes, uh, you know, a high level of resilience. However, I think, you know, in comparison to my journey, I think it's, there's a, a lot more open, there's many more open doors than there was um, previously. Um, but yeah, for me, like, it's just always been about never giving up. Debbie, dream big and dream fierce. I'm going to use that from now on. Absolutely fantastic. Thank you so much. That's been wonderful. My pleasure, Don. Thanks for having me.